Thanks, guys. All right, church, take a seat. Bow your head in prayer with me. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you, Lord, uh, that, Father, the, the words of that song, we do believe that they are true, Father. And uh, we thank you that, that all the junk in our life, Lord, um, your grace meets us, you forgive, you redeem, you grant mercy, you do holy work. And so, Father, we just so appreciate that. And today, Lord, we want to be healthier. Lord, not in our bodies, but in our souls. So, Father, I pray you could help us. Help us to clear out the junk in our life. And, Father, help us to experience your healing in relationships that have been broken in our life. God, we ask for that grace, and we ask it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, church, good to be with you today. Thanks for being here. I want to give a special thanks uh, to everyone who was part of the Night to Shine event on Friday. Um, our, our church hosted that at our Columbia Station campus, and it's a, a special needs prom, and it was an awesome night. Um, so thankful for, for all those who served and, and really made that, that night special for everyone who came. So, so thank you for that. Uh, and today we're continuing our, our sermon series, uh, Breathing Underwater, and, and we're talking about how do, we, how do we break free from some of the habits and attitudes and mindsets that are really hard to break free from. How do we kind of break that cycle in our life where it's like, man, I know this isn't good for me, I know I shouldn't be doing this, I know I shouldn't be thinking this, but but I'm having a hard time getting out of it. So we've been digging into that. And, and last week, Jovan preached, and, and he opened, and he said, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? And I really thought about that and prayed a lot. And I thought, I would say this. Chet, there's this thing called Bitcoin. <laughs> and, and, and like buy it all in 2015 and sell it in 20... So did I get the point of that? I wasn't... I wasn't sure if that's where, but that, that was all that I could come up. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but hey, but today I want to continue this, this sermon series on breathing underwater. And a couple years ago, I heard this great interview with this Olympian. His name is Travis Stevens, and uh, he got won the silver medal in judo uh, in the, the Beijing Olympics. Now, you know, Americans, that, that's the highest an American has ever gotten in judo. You know, Japan tends to dominate that sport. There's been no gold medalist. So it's an amazing achievement. But the interviewer was talking to him about all the injuries that he's had. He's had these just horrible injuries, just knee destroyed, um, just kind of every part of his body. And so he was talking about how he overcame it because many of those injuries could easily be career ending. Uh, but, but they weren't for him. And so one of the things that he, that he said that really stood out to me, he said those, those injuries, when I work through them and do all this rehab, he said I, those injured places in me become stronger than they were before. And, and he was, you know, very serious and, and adamant about this idea that, that those injured places become strengths. And I was like, man, that's a great perspective. Because I don't know about, like, when, I, when something's injured, I, like, count it done for life, you know? It's like, dude, man, my shoulder, yeah, that thing's never, it's done, you know? Uh, put a fork in me, it's over. Um, so, but obviously, that's 
probably why he's an Olympic athlete and, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> Might be one of the reasons. Um, but but there's something compelling to me about that perspective. Like, I, I really respected that. And I was like, man, that's, that's really inspiring. And, you know, I think that that is actually true spiritually. Now, physically, I don't know if that is actually true. But I could see how believing it is helpful whether it's true or not. You know what I mean? But, but spiritually, I do believe that that is true. That sometimes the, the broken areas of our life, when we allow God to heal them, they become the places of ministry, the places of influence, and places of power in our lives. And a, and a lot of what we're working through in this series is, is tough stuff. And we're going to talk about more tough stuff today. But I want to encourage you, because I believe if we allow God's grace to enter these places of hurt, these places of injury, these places of brokenness, we can see God do something great. And, and make them into places of strength. You with me on this? And, and I believe this is true in our relationships too. And so today I want to share this idea of, of kind of what, what I call a theology of, of repair. Because things break in life, don't they? Um, and specifically, I want to talk about relationships that break in life. Because as far as of Christ... We're called to, to deal with relationship, relational brokenness in a different way than the rest of the world. See, I think kind of a prevailing mood in our world today is that if, if someone disappoints you or fails you or whatever, just cut them out of your life, right? You know, we could call it cancel culture. We could call it all, all kinds of things. But, but I think there, there's a lot of that going around. Would you agree with that? And, and I think that's, that's too easy. You know what I'm saying? I understand it because then you're like, I'm avoiding all this pain. And I get the reason. I get the motivation for that. But, but I would say the scriptures call us to a different approach to all of this. And, and if we enter into it, I think we can be amazed at what God can do. So we're going to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. Just two verses today from Matthew 5. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a lot of time on that last year. Uh, so this is going to be a really quick sermon. Just kind of hit some summary points. And you believe that? Yeah, it's not true at all. I hope you're comfortable right now. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Here's the words of Jesus. Now, the context is Jesus is talking about anger. The context is he's talking about, you know, yelling at someone, calling someone a fool. He's talking about the, the anger that arises in our heart. Now, I know you guys are such godly people that it's really hard to connect with what Jesus was saying here. You know, I know anger is such a foreign emotion to us. <laughs> yeah. All right, good. I'm talking to the right crowd here. Matthew 5, verse 23. So this is right after that, but it's connected to it. So then he says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if, if you're going to church, you know, there, there it would be the temple. If you're going there and, and you're bringing a gift, you're, you're bringing a sacrifice, this would have been, uh, you know, a, a well-known thing in Jesus' culture. And look at this, and there your brother has something against you. Now, notice those words. We've talked the last couple weeks about 
the pain that we've received to, from others. But today, we're going to look at the other side of it. And I know you're thinking right now, man, I really wish I wouldn't have come today. Because <laughs> the other side's way easier, right? But today, I, wanna, I want to, to challenge you and to challenge me that we really need to look at this side. Because this side is really where the growth is at. This side is really where the transformation is at. If your brother has something against you, not, Jesus says, not do you have something against your brother. You see the difference? But you're at church. You're like, wow, it's nice. It's sunny out. Um, feeling good. And then your mind starts to process. And Jesus says, and, and there you, you remember maybe some of the ways you've hurt people in your life. What do you do? Well, you just go on through church and say, now, I'll think about that another time. That's what I like to do. Here's what Jesus says. Look at it. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go ahead. Leave your coffee, your cup, your gift, whatever, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. These are crazy words, aren't they? This is, this is a pretty radical calling here from Jesus. And so there's a lot that he's saying to us today, but, but the first thing that I want you to see is the priority that Jesus puts on reconciliation here. The priority on, on, on making things right with others. Jesus, can, can you tell Jesus, like, this is important to me. And Jesus shows us, church, don't miss this, that worship is more about healthy relationships than what we offer to God. Did you all hear that? Worship, now, we tend to have a very narrow view in, in, in our culture of worship. If we were to ask people, like, what worship is, uh, Many of us, many people might say, well, it, it's kind of music. Well, you know, it's that, we, hey, we just did it before chat was up here. You know, that, that's kind of what worship, and that is worship. But that's only one way to worship. That's only one avenue of worship. We worship through music, and that is a great way to worship and to respond to God. And, and we see all through the scripture, people do that. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But we also worship through the sermon, as we think about God and we try to apply who he is to the realities of our life. That's worship too. And those people that are serving in our family ministries with the kids, guess what? That's worship too, church. But Jesus shows us something even deeper than that. That worship is about learning to love people in better and better ways. Worship is about healing relationships. You with me on this? Now, I just want to stay here for one minute because I, I think that, that so much of how we think about uh, our relationship with God can become really, really individualized. I, I've been reading this fascinating author. His name's Charles Taylor. And, and he writes about this, this idea. How did in 1500, if we lived in 1500, everyone believed in God? It didn't make sense not to believe in God. He said, how do we go from 1,500 to 2,000 
where now today it can kind of be hard to believe in God. There's, there's a lot of intellect, and he said, what happened between that time? And that's what a lot of people call secularization and that kind of thing. But th- he's so fat. He's really hard to understand. So I'm like, you know, reading like other people, what they said about him. But it's fascinating stuff. <laughs> I talked to Allie about it. She gets really bored. But man, I'm like a kid in a candy store. But anyway, but one of the big things that, that he says is that as, as human beings, we have cut ourselves off from transcendence. We've cut ourselves off from transcendence. And, and what we do is we, we cut ourselves off from, from this idea of our, that there is this outside reality of God that is the ultimate meaning and purpose of things. We cut ourselves off from that because then it's like, okay, cool. Well, I can do my own thing and live my own life. And he says we, we end up putting ourselves in these little boxes that God can't get through. But here's the problem we suffocate in those boxes because they're so small and cramped. And so we're conflicted people. We're like, well, I I don't want to find transcendence in God, but I also kind of hate this box that I'm in. And so we're confused and conflicted because we've shrunk so much of spirituality and meaning into us as individuals. And so as Christians, when we think about worship, we think about us as an individual, in God. But do you read here kind of the bigger picture that Jesus is, is showing us? He's saying get out of that little box because worship is about all of us and how we're interacting. And I think we need to understand it that way. Here, here's a, another way. John says it this way, 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You with me on this? So when, when, I, when I love God, when I'm loving God, it, it's going to directly translate to make me able to love you better. And when I love you better, it's also going to translate to making me love and receive love from God better too. They're, they're interconnected. You cannot separate them. You with me on this? And so for Jesus, love, there's always a vertical component and there's always a horizontal. And you can't pick one over the other. Right? It can't be, I love God, but I hate people. Like, doesn't work, you know? I love people, but I hate God. You can't do that either. Jesus said, it's it's all related. It's all spiritual. It's all worship. And Jesus says, Jesus says, this is a priority to me. Reconciliation is the priority of worship. Leave your gift here. I don't really care about your gift. I care about the relationships in your life. You with me on this? That's powerful stuff. Now, let's talk about the practice of this a little bit. Jesus calls us to make it right with our brother. Now, if you read the Sermon on the Mount a little bit further, Jesus is going to talk about dealing with our enemies, dealing with, uh, you know, those who are hostile against us. But I think this more applies to those relationships that, that are close at one point in our life, but then have been fractured. Have you ever had a relationship in your life where you're like, it's not what it used to be? And it's because things have happened. 
Some things on your end, some things on their end, right? These, I think, are the relationships that Jesus is calling us to work towards. And so, as we have been looking at the 12 steps, these next two 12, uh, of the next two steps of the 12 steps kind of help us to think through us. So I want to throw those up on the screen. Step eight. So we've kind of been, been looking at, at how people have heard us, but then we're going to transition. We're going to make a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. What is this? This is just what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. That's it. And then step nine, so you make the list, but then step nine, you do it. Make the recommends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So then step nine, you actually just do. Jesus says, go and do it. Now, what to me is so powerful about this is if you're like me, I am way more in tune with how others hurt me. You with me? I, man, I got receptors for that like you would not believe. But am I as in tune with how I hurt others? We all know the answer to that, right? Can I say that, the, that it's probably true for you too? And that's why we have to work at this? But, but when, we, when we work at it, church, I'm telling you, we don't have to be afraid of it because this is where growth is really at. So Jesus says, when, when you're there, remember. And, and this is what step eight is. Like, think about it. Th- look, survey our life. Think about, man, God, how, how have we wounded other people? I mean, it's, a, it's not a fun thing to think about. And I'm not acting like it is. But man, I think there is a lot of healing and growth that can come out of it. Jesus says, remember, remember if your brother has something against you. There's other times to remember when you have something against them. That's part of the equation. But this is, what is my part? What is my part? How can I see it? How can I own it? How can I heal and learn from it? Now, if you're kind of racking your mind, let me just give you a couple tips to think about this. When we see these signs in a relationship, it's probably worth exploring for amends. Number one, avoidance. Right? You know when someone gives you the cold shoulder? You're like, something's up there, right? We know that strategy. We use it too. Yeah. We're we're all familiar. You can't prank a prankster, you know? We we know how this works. Avoidance. Second, coldness. You know, just kind of the, the, the warmth is gone. And third, irritability. Here's also how you probably know you have an issue with someone when you're practicing those things. You're like, no, I'm fine. Are you really? You know? Irritability, everyone else can do that thing. It doesn't bother you. They do it, and you lose your mind, right? What is going on there? Well, there, there's something real there. there. There's something unreconciled. You with me on this, church? And, and here's what we're learning through this process. If we don't have a strategy for dealing with all of this, it's going to come out sideways in our life in unhealthy drives. You with me? If we don't learn how to deal with this stuff, and, and I get it, we're, we're never taught to deal with this stuff, right? We're, we're, ne- we're never even always encouraged to. 
But this is what we need to embark on if we're really going to heal in deep ways. You with me on this, church? And so we, we can look for those signs. Now, notice that, and this is so powerful, God puts the responsibility on us to go for reconciliation. If you're at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, just sit there and wait, and hopefully your brother will come to you. Is that what it says? I'm not looking at the screen right now, but did I get it right? It's not what it says, right? Notice that, because you're like, well, if they have a problem, they can just come up to me, you know? They can just come, yeah, come on, come at me. I wonder why they don't want to. I don't know, <laughs> right? Um, the, the onus of the responsibility is on us. Now, I wish Jesus didn't put it there, honestly. I wish he didn't. But I have a hard time understanding that text any other way. <laughs> How about you? It seems pretty clear to me. Jesus is like, hey, you think uh, church is the pinnacle of worship. It's not. It's bringing my healing into those relationships in your life. If you really want to worship me, go and do that. Because what does God love more than anything? He loves people. Right? I think God is pleased when we sing to him. I think God is pleased when we serve him. I think God is pleased when we learn about him. But you know what I think pleases God above all is when his sons and daughters are reconciled to each other. I think that brings a joy to his heart that's even deeper than these other things. So Jesus says, go. The responsibility is on us. Now, in the, in the recovery community, there, there's a lot of great ways because, you know, sometimes um, there, there are times where, where maybe the relationship has so much scar tissue that, that a letter is appropriate or, you know, maybe that there are some times where uh, there's just, it's too volatile and, and sort of, you, you know, get that reconciliation out a different way. But, but by and large, I would encourage us to do those amends in person. Now, here's something I've noticed in life. When I was 18, I got a cell phone, but I didn't have one before then. So I'm like, you know, in that weird phase where a lot of my life has been texts and calls and stuff like that and social media, but I do remember having to pick up a phone and call somebody. And like, yeah, it's, I know, some of you are like, dude, I can't relate to you right now. I get it. That's okay. You don't have to. I'm just, I'm explaining. Um, and you had to... 572-3374, that was my phone number growing up. I still got it. You had to, like, memorize stuff. It was, these were the dark ages. It was a crazy time. But, like, right, right when I was a senior, you know, in high school, I, I got a cell phone. Now, here's what I know. I will, and if you're younger than me, th this is who I'm really talking to today. If you're younger than me, what, what I notice is, and I, I've told you this before, but soldiers in the Army, they will text me their life story. I mean everything. Like so much where I'm like, dude, like it takes me 10 minutes to read because it's 35 things of text. And then I'll go and I'll talk to them in person and they won't say one word to me. They will just look terrified. Or I'll get a text and I'll be like, can we talk? Because I can't text that much. Like literally my fingers will fall off. I cannot do it. It's a physiological thing. And, uh, and, and they... And a lot of them, and a lot of them are 18 and 19, you know, uh, 20. And a lot of them, they really 
feel, and I get it, a lot safer having these really deep conversations through that way. But can I say, and I, and I know you're like, wow, how'd you become an old geezer so fast? I don't know. I think it was two kids that did it. But, but, but can I say, truly meaningful conversations as much as possible, do them in person. Do it in person. And that's not like anything. I love technology. I'm all about it. Um, it's great. But I think these types of things, man, do it in person. Don't, don't do it through a screen. I get it. That, that's kind of, it's a safety blanket. And we all love that safety blanket. But there's something about presence that can never be communicated that way. You with me on this? And so, so when you go, do it that way. Now, again, growth is on our side of this equation. Go and make amends. It, it, how they respond, that's between them and God. Right? Have you ever apologized to someone and it didn't go well? That's okay. Guess what? It was still good for you. You with me on this? There's still growth in it for you. Uh, there's still change in it for you. So you, you have to release those outcomes to God. And trust him. But, but the point is, is that we're owning our junk before God and before his people. And church, that's where the change in our life is. And then notice this, just one last part about this. Jesus calls us to go urgently. What happens when things stew in your heart? Do they become better or worse? Yeah. Do they, do they become sweeter or more spoiled? Right? It gets worse. You, you ever stew on something so long that it, like, it has a whole life of its own? And like whatever the original issue is, like that's long gone. Now there's this whole grand story that, you know, the powers of darkness and light clashing. Um, and it's this huge thing. Well, what, what is the problem there? The problem is urgency. We cook a lot of eggs at our house. Almost every morning, cook the girls' eggs and toast. And, and Allie's, you know, she's like all about being healthy and stuff. So some of the, the pans that we have, they're like non-stick pans because whatever, you're going to die if we eat off of them. I don't know. And, but here's the problem. when You're like, what is he talking about, right? <laughs> I do have a point here, I promise. This is not an infomercial. Some of you know what I'm, what I'm talking about here. But anyway, so whatever. So we got these pans. But, but here's the deal. If you don't get the leftover egg off of them immediately, you need a jackhammer to get it off later. Like I literally have a mini jackhammer that I plug. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, they, it just gets, as soon as it cools off, it's impossible nearly to, to get it off some of those pans. But when it's fresh, and you just kind of run over and scrape it off, it's way easier. You see what I'm saying now? <laughs> Do, should I leave that out for 11 o'clock, too? Just a little bit, too? Yeah, sorry. Stuff sticks the longer, the longer it's there. That's just reality. Um, that's why Jesus says urgency. He said, man, just go, go, make it right. 
I know it's uncomfortable, it's humbling, it's all that. Like, yeah, but you know what? That's good for our souls. It's good, and, it, and it's good for people. And it's good for the kingdom of God. Um, so he says, go urgently. Don't, don't let it hang around because that is the gift that God actually wants from you and me. Leave your gift at the altar. He doesn't actually, he doesn't need that stuff. But this is, this is what he wants. So how do, we, how do we make amends? Just a couple thoughts on that. Uh, number one, you know, you just confess and take ownership, right? Don't excuse yourself. Don't say, well, you know, yes, I did that, but you were a jerk too. <laughs> that might be true. That might be true, but this is not, this is not what that's about. This is about, hey, even if it's 95% them and 5% you, this is about you and I owning that 5%. You with me? And then that 95%, that's between them and the Lord. And you don't got to worry about that. But we own it. We just, yeah, say it like it is. Second, listen to the other person without defensiveness. You ever kind of open up and like you're vulnerable and you apologize and then they're like, yeah, but let me also add some things to this. I heard this happens in marriage sometimes. Can anyone confirm it or not? It's never happened to me. But it's like, well, yes, let me also tell you this. And, and, and what happens? We get defensive, right? And, and we sort of, if we're not careful... Our, our ego comes into play there, and we start attacking or defending or deflecting, all that kind of thing. But, but here's what we want to do in this process. We want to listen without being defensive. Because you know what? I mean, let's just be honest for a second. In, in every criticism in our life, no matter how poorly it's delivered, there's probably a kernel of truth somewhere. And if you focus on just learning and finding that, instead of defending your fragile ego, we will grow a lot, right? Because, I mean, what makes us think that we're, we got it all right anyway, right? Where do we ever get that thought? Why am I surprised when my brokenness causes problems? Why am I surprised at that, right? What it means to be a Christian is a sinner saved by grace, yeah, so let me own it. Let me, let me not defend it. Third, ask God to teach us through the process. Man, as we think about this, the Lord might show patterns in our life. Okay, you're, you're chasing this, and that's why there's this collateral damage. You're, you're chasing this, and, and that's why it's coming out sideways and impacting the people around you. So, this can be tremendous ways for God to really show us what's happening in us. For make changes in life and move forward. See, making amends, this is not about beating yourself up into a pulp. Because that can actually, believe it or not, church, be a reflection of our ego too. Oh, I'm the worst person ever. I'm terrible. Uh, why doesn't God just smite me right now? Uh, and that's literally what you sound like, too. <laughs> it's literally tone and everything. 
Like that, you know, that, that can be just as egotistical as a defensiveness. You, you with me on this? It's like, no, yeah, okay, I, I was an idiot. Um, I'm owning it, but I'm not going to sit in that and stew in my shame because I'm forgiven. And God's calling me forward. So I'm going to move forward. If you're stewing in your shame, there's a disconnect there, church. That's not what this is about. It's not about, you know, just becoming a, a puddle of goo. This is about healthy ownership and moving forward with the Lord. So do that. Now, let me just talk about one last aspect of this, and I want to share another verse from 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at this verse closely. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is Paul saying? He's saying the whole ministry of Jesus is reconciliation. The whole ministry of Jesus is reconciliation. Maybe that's why this is so important to him. Because Paul says that, that's how we can understand his whole ministry. His life, his death, his resurrection. Now, notice how this reconciliation happens. He who knew no sin became sin, so we might become the righteousness of God. When we make amends, we're owning our sin. That's what we're doing. We're receiving God's forgiveness, and we're experiencing healing in life. But notice how, how Jesus reconciles us. Jesus had no sin. He didn't have any sin of his own to own. So what did he do? He owned your sin. He owned my sin. How far did our God go to reconcile us? He went so far to own what was not his, but what was ours, so we could have what is his. Is that a great savior or what, church? He says, I owned your sin, and now I'm not asking you to pay for it. I'm not asking you to deal with it. I'm just asking you to own it before other people for healing, for change, for growth. I fully owned your sin, so th th there's nothing that you really have to fear. That there's nothing that, that you really have to, to figure out or make up for. I owned all that, and, and my ask out of you 
is that you would just own it before others. How powerful is that, church? And today, I believe that's where, that's where the, the change comes from, is by just seeing, seeing the lengths that Christ went for each one of us, and then saying, all right, Lord, this ministry of reconciliation, you did it, but notice what Paul says, you've entrusted it to us now. See, I believe that maybe some of the hurt relationships in our life that feel weak and injured, what if through reconciliation they actually become the most powerful relationships in our life? What if God meets us in this process with blessing and not humiliation? What if you and I grow, but what if the relationship grows? See, a relationship that hasn't been through conflict, it's not that deep. It's superficial. Relationships that go through conflict and they come out on the other side become powerful. There's a security, there's a stability, there's a truth in them. Now, sometimes we're so afraid of the process that we won't seek the blessing on the other side. Jesus calls us to embrace the process so we can find the blessing on the other side. And today, church, I think as followers of Christ, we should be excellent at the theology of repair. Relationships are going to break. We're human. We're broken. We're sinful. We don't get it right all the time. They're going to break. That's inevitable. Injury is going to happen. But our God is a great healer. Our God is a great redeemer. What the enemy meant for evil we sang about, he turns for good. And so church, maybe there are blessings in this that you cannot foresee, but God knows. And some of the pain in our life can be turned into something spiritually powerful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just invite your help as we think, as we process this. Lord, we are sorry for the hurts that, that we've created. Whether it's been from selfishness or pride or addiction or neglect, Lord, there's probably all kinds of reasons we can look at in our own souls. And Father, we are aware that people hurt us, and we know you'll help us through those pains. But Lord, would you help us to take ownership for how we've hurt others? Not, Lord, that you are intending to humiliate us, but you're intending to heal us. So Lord, help us to enter into the process of real healing. Help us, Lord, this week, this month, to maybe go to our brother or to our sister. And to offer words of apology, of acknowledgement. God, we can't do it without your strength. Our pride gets in the way. Our fear gets in the way. Our anger gets in the way. But Lord, we know by your grace, by your forgiveness, by your redemption, by your reconciliation, we can bring that to this world. And God, we just pray for your help to do it. 
And we pray we could just find abundant grace and abundant transformation in it. We ask this in the great name of Jesus.